Good morning. Uh, for weeks, actually for months now, Kelly's been leading us through a story. It's, it's a, God's redemptive story. And we, we began in Genesis uh, in September with creation. And before we get to the text I want to share with you this morning, I just want to go back a few weeks and review a certain, certain story and a certain passage that Kelly uh, shared with us. And that's, that's back in, in uh, Genesis 22. Actually, Glenn, could I get you to bring me up the remote for the PowerPoint? I knew I'd forget something. <laughs> but a couple weeks ago, Kelly shared with us the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. And in the story, in Genesis 22, we read this incredible request of God. It says God wanted to test Abraham, so he asked Abraham to take his one and his only son, and to sacrifice him. And even more incredibly, Abraham's response to this was to wake up the next day, grab a donkey and some slaves and his son, and go to the place God told him to go. And he took his son up on the mountain, he built an altar, he put his son on the altar, and was about to sacrifice his son on this altar. And at the last second, God stopped him, provided a sacrifice. And because of this great faith, this incredible, in this incredible story, in Genesis 22, verse 16, God says this, He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. And so there's this incredible uh, covenant made with, with Abraham, and uh, this promise made by God with Abraham. His descendants are going to become more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and that they're going to be given this, this land flowing with milk and honey, and that, that all nations on earth are going to be blessed through them. What an incredible promise. And so, Abraham's son Isaac, uh, we read about Isaac, and he has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons, and we learned about one of them last week, and that is Joseph. And Joseph, as we learned last week, was one of Jacob's uh, younger sons, and actually was, was in some ways favored by his father, so much so that his brothers, they actually wanted to kill him. Rather than kill him, they had grace on their brother, or for their brother. Um, they decided to sell him into slavery instead. Uh, and so Joseph, that was a joke by the way, I wasn't grace. But, um, and so Joseph ends up in slavery, and incredibly he actually ends up with this, this quite high role as a slave in Egypt in, in Pharaoh's house. He ends up falsely accused in, of, a, of a crime he didn't commit. He's in prison. In prison, he begins to interpret dreams. And it's just by chance, Pharaoh's having a dream that he can't figure out. And so Joseph ends up before Pharaoh interpreting a dream that ends up actually saving all of Egypt from a famine. Because of this, Joseph ends up with this prominent role in Egypt. And ironically, his brothers end up coming to him for food. And it's, it's an incredible story, uh, especially of restoration between Joseph and his family as his father comes and they reside in Egypt. And I share all that with you this morning because we're then introduced to this man named Moses. 
before I show you that. Uh, in Exodus 1 and 2, actually, if you want to open your Bibles this morning to, to Exodus chapter 3. And just a preamble to, to Exodus 3. In, in Exodus 1, we're introduced, uh, I guess, um, in Exodus 2, we're introduced to Moses, but um, Abraham's descendants, the Hebrew people, they've been in, in Egypt for quite a, quite a few years now. It's been hundreds of years. They've grown in number. It actually says that they are fruitful and they multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. And so Abraham's descendants have grown in number. And, and they actually grow in number so much so that Pharaoh, the new king of, of Egypt, actually begins to fear that they're, they're actually, there's too many of them. And, and so what he does is he enslaves the Hebrew people. They become slaves in Egypt. And actually, he not only does that, he decrees that the, the male uh, Hebrew-born sons um, all be killed and thrown into the Nile. And Moses is this young baby who is saved by his mother. Instead of killing him, his mother puts him in the river. The story that we've all heard and uh, is actually floating down the river and amazingly gets found by Pharaoh's daughter who has compassion on this little baby and decides to raise him in her own home. And so Moses, this Hebrew baby who's supposed to be killed, ends up growing, in the house, growing up in the house of Pharaoh. And this is where we find him this morning. Um, actually, it's not where we find him quite yet. <laughs> Uh, but he grows up in the house of Pharaoh, and one day he goes out. It says he goes out, and this is in, in Exodus two. He goes out, and he actually sees one of the Egyptian uh, guards uh, mistreating and abusing one of the Hebrew slaves, one of his people. And he knows that these are his people, and so actually Moses acts out in anger, and he ends up killing this guard, this Egyptian guard. Thinks he's gotten away with it, and the next day finds out. Not only do the Hebrew people know about it and are despising, looking down upon him for it, but Pharaoh's found out and wants him killed. And so Moses flees Egypt, and this now is where we find him today in, in uh, Gen- or Exodus three. We're going to read the first twelve verses this morning. If you'll just read it with me, it says, "Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he he." led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see the strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said to him, Here I am, do not come any closer. God said, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. In verse 11, Moses responds, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain.
And so God has remembered the promise that He made with Moses' ancestor, Abraham. And they're now in Egypt. They've grown in number. And um, I just want to point out before I continue, just, just the incredible importance of this story in, in God's redemptive uh, story, in that this is a turning point where God decides it's now time to make these, these Hebrew people, these descendants of Abraham, a nation. And so the story begins of them being left, uh, or sorry, freed from Egypt and slavery. But in this passage, in the first 12 verses, God calls Moses um, to be his instrument in order to do this. And he asks him to go into Egypt and to basically go before Pharaoh and say, please let my people go. Um, and Moses' response, of course, as a, you, can, you can imagine as a murderer, like a runaway, thinking, who am I to do this? What I want to actually really focus in on this morning is just the re- simple response, simply the response of Moses to God's calling for him and his life. Uh, if you turn your page in your Bible to chapter 4, let's read verses 10 and 11 together. Exodus 4, verses 10 and 11, Moses said, or sorry, okay, (laughs) and so God and Moses have been having this dialogue uh, and actually having this conversation back and forth as God is calling him to do this. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And so Moses actually responds to God, to this calling that God has placed on his life, with not only, who am I, I can't do this, but he actually is trying to explain to God, I don't have the talents or the gifts, I don't have the skills that are required in order to do this. Why are you asking me? Please ask someone else. And Moses' response, I think, is, it reminds me so much of myself uh, so often. I can't, I can't count the amount of times where I've felt the urge or the need to go and do something or speak to somebody and I've thought, that's not really me, that's not my gift, that's not my talent, this is kind of my place in the church. And so there's this need before me where God is actually speaking to my heart saying, you know, um, I need you to, to share my word with this person. And, and I quite often feel that, whether it's in, in, my, uh, in my community with a neighbor, you know, I'm just not that type of person. And so those things go through my head all the time. And the amazing thing that I see God telling Moses here is that you don't need to believe in yourself. You need to believe in God. And this is, this is an incredible thing for God to be telling Moses because it flies in the face uh, of, of the way that I have always lived my life. I believe it flies in the face of the way all of you have lived your life in that how often do we... Do we ever do things that we don't believe we can do? Usually we are, we're all existing, we're all acting within these limits that we've set for ourselves of this is who I am and this is what I can do. Uh, and in this story, it's amazingly God is telling Moses, you don't need to believe in yourself, you need to believe in me. This actually becomes a theme throughout all of Scripture. Um, if you, you go further in the Old Testament to the story of David, who's David? He's this young, very young shepherd who's tending flocks. And God goes to this little shepherd and calls him to be 
the man or the young man to go and kill this giant, Goliath of the Philistines. Do you think God went to David and chose David thinking, here's, here's the strongest of the Israelites, here's the most mighty warrior, the most skilled and trained of them all, I'm going to use David. There actually is almost nothing that really speaks other than some slingshot skills <laughs> uh, that speaks of God's desire for for talent or or ability, um, what God desires in David's life and what David displays in that incredible story is faith. And so God says to David, you don't need to believe in yourself, you need to believe in me. If you go to the New Testament and you read the story of Peter, who's Peter? Peter was a fisherman called by Jesus. And Peter goes from fisherman to preacher to leading thousands of people to becoming one of the leaders of the early church. What an incredible story. Did Peter have preaching and um, convincing and incredible speaking skills? Was he an enthralling and, and uh, uh, speaker well, as, as, as a fisherman? I mean, he may have been, but he went from fisherman to preacher to, to, to lean thousands of people. And so God says to Peter, you don't need skills. You don't need to believe in yourself. You need to believe in me. And the incredible faith of Peter is displayed in an incredible way. And the same thing with Paul, this man who's persecuting the church. And God chooses him, and he becomes the instrument and the messenger of God to bring the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. <clears throat> I've spoken once before, I think, of a man named Nick Vujicic, but I'm sure some of you haven't uh, heard of him before. I actually encourage you, if you can, just to write his name down. It's hard to spell. But if you write his name down, if you are ever in need of inspiration, of... Um, of encouragement, I really encourage you to go to YouTube, type in this name, and spend hours being encouraged and inspired. Nick Vujicic is a man from Australia. He was born literally with no arms and no legs. And his story goes, the way he tells it, at the age of eight, you can imagine having no arms and no legs. The age of eight, he wanted nothing more for his life than for it to be over. He wanted... Just, he wanted it to end. He had no hope. He said he had no purpose. He had no joy. He didn't see any reason why his life should continue at the age of eight. And the amazing and incredible thing about Nick's story, the inspiring and, and literally overwhelming thing about Nick's story, is that God entered his heart at this point in his life. He filled his life and his heart with purpose, with joy. And Nick Vujicic now is actually one of the most sought-after and I'd say most impactful, inspirational uh, church leaders and uh, speakers pretty much in the world. He's highly sought-after and basically travels the world all year, all year long, speaking at major conferences to thousands of people. Uh, The first time I heard, or the only time I've ever heard Nick live was at a conference of 12,000 youth here in Alberta. Called all the way from Australia to come and speak, and he's changing incredible amounts of lives all over the world. <clears throat> and so God has said to Nick Vujicic as well, when he called Nick um, into a life of serving him, did Nick feel like I'm equipped with what everybody else has in order to be an instrument for God? Nick showed great faith and continues to in serving God. Um, I've shared before the part of my life story where I first felt called into ministry by God. 
I actually shared it in August when I last preached. Um, but what I shared during that, that sermon and, and that part of my life and that story was the day that I, I somehow felt called to preach and to go into ministry and make this my life's calling. Um, there was no doubt in my mind as I came home from, from school that day uh, that this is what God wants me to do with my life. Just 100%. There's no doubt in my mind. Chelsea could hardly believe me. We had to talk about it all evening, and I had to convince her uh, that this was uh, what God wanted us to do with our lives. Um, but what I've shared is that I sat on the couch that night thinking to myself, and I'll never forget like the certainty that I thought this thought with, and that was, there's no way I'll ever preach in a church. Why would I ever be a preacher, and how will I ever stand before people and preach? And how will the church ever hire somebody like me to be one of its uh, staff or leaders. I'm so glad that God's proved me wrong. There's nothing, there was literally nothing in my life at that point in time that spoke to anyone who knew me that, oh, you're going to make a good preacher someday. I had never before been told by anyone in my life, you should preach <laughs> or you should, you should be a church leader. I had never thought of it before that day. It never crossed my mind. There was no doubt in my mind up to that day that there's no way I'll ever do that. God's calling in my life had nothing to do with the skills and abilities and the talent that I had. But God called me into a life of faith, and he's transformed my heart and my life, I believe, in incredible ways. Um, you guys all got to experience our teens a couple of years ago going on a mission trip. I talked to some of them this past week and just asked them a few questions about it. I don't know if you guys realize the fact that Every single one of those teens that went on that trip, when they were presented with this opportunity, I guarantee you there's not one of them that didn't have these thoughts cross their mind. There's, I can't do that. How am I ever going to do that? Um, just these thoughts of fear of how can I be the person to go and do that? I'm not going to be able to do it. In fact, I can guarantee that because, I've, because many of them actually talked to me about that and had fears and they had hesitation and they were very terrified. The amazing thing about those teens and that trip that we went on was despite those thoughts and those feelings, the fact they'd never done anything like that before, and not only were they going to go and speak to people about their faith and be questioned of their faith and try to lead young people towards Christ, but they were going to go all the way across the planet to a completely foreign country and foreign language to do it. And that mission trip that year was this incredible example of faith in some of the young people in our own church. It was incredible. I believe God, as he called those young people on their mission trip, God spoke to their hearts saying, you don't need to believe in yourself, believe in me, and they did. <clears throat> I want to present you with a couple questions this morning. And they're, they're not rhetorical, but I, I'm not looking for answers. I just want to present these to you. I want them to, uh, I guess, let them circulate in your heart and in your mind this week. And that is just, what is God calling you to in your life? What's he calling you to? What's he going to be calling you to? Um, from my own experience, I've felt God's call in a powerful way in my life before. I felt like I've living, I'm, I've, I'm living it out uh, before. Uh, but there's also been times in my life where I feel kind of lost all of a sudden in that calling, and I feel like maybe that's not my calling anymore, and he's called me to new things. And so this morning, that might be you. You might have been called before, and you might have been living that out, and you might be feeling kind of lost. And I want to ask you, what's God calling you to next? What, what does God want of your life now? 
Not only that, but how, or sorry, are there any burning bushes in your life? In other words, God used this, the burning bush, this, this incredible burning bush, to grab Moses' attention, to draw him up in the mountain into conversation. And I ask you, what is there anything, is there anything speaking to your heart? Is there anything standing out continually that you, you just can't ignore, uh, that God is maybe leading you to? Not only are there burning bushes, but how are you approaching them? How often as these things continually come up in your life and in your mind, as your neighbor continually comes, walks by your driveway and you ignore him, uh, are you actually just convincing yourself that, well, I'm not that type of person, that has nothing to do with my faith? Um, as Moses approached the bush, God asked him to take your sandals off. This is holy ground, so there's this reverence. And so are you approaching these opportunities or these bushes in your life with reverence? Are you approaching them with prayer? How often are you going to God and seeking his conversation um, and his voice for your life and what he wants you to be doing? And then, of course, how are you responding? The video we watched right before I got up here presented to me an incredible question. A very thought-provoking one. And that is, is God's calling all about where you're going? Or is it more about who you're becoming? How often are we we standing or sitting wherever we are thinking, should I go left or should I go right? Should I go over here or should I go over there? When really the question is, what's going on inside my heart and who am I becoming? Um, this past week in young adult group, I presented the, the challenge, actually the question, I guess, before them. I said, do you believe or agree with this statement? Do you, do you agree with the fact that without challenge in your life, it's nearly impossible to grow? So without challenge in your life, it's nearly impossible to grow. Uh, the overwhelming consensus in our group was, was that, well, I, yeah, I agree with that, that without being challenged in your life, how can you, how can you ever grow? If you just continue doing things you're always doing, you're, you're never going to kind of grow and expand, um, especially in regards to your faith. But one of the young adults, I have to give credit to them for this, but they presented the idea of, of us all existing and living within these fear bubbles. I liked this picture, even though it's a strange picture, um, but of us all existing within these bubbles of fear. And everything that we're doing, our work, our job, our relationships, our friendships, um, our spouses, everything that we're doing, all of our actions are all existing within these fear bubbles. And so those are our lives. Our lives are consisting within these fear bubbles. And we very seldom step out of those fear bubbles. I mean, you might know it as a, it might be more commonly known as a comfort zone. But I like that idea of us all existing. I'd, I'd say that I not only agree with that concept, but I also would kind of, I guess, add to that, that when we all accepted Jesus into our hearts, into our lives, when faith entered the picture, uh, for many of us, faith actually came within this fear bubble and now exists and lives confined by, by this fear bubble. And so we're living out our faith, but within the confines of what we're comfortable with, in other words, within the confines of, of this fear bubble. What I read into this passage in Exodus 3 is not only God saying, you don't need to believe in yourself, you need to believe in me, it's God asking Moses to step outside of fear and to step into faith. When I read about David, of Peter, of Paul, when I look at my life and how God's called me, when I look at our teens and the response that they had, what I see is God saying, I need you to step outside of fear and step into faith. I want to just leave you with a couple more questions. To consider, do you let fear 
control you or do you let faith control you? How often do you say no to God because of fear? I'm not sure of the exact direction God's calling you to this morning or is going to call you to in the coming days or weeks ahead, but I am almost certain that it's going to require faith. And so my challenge for you this morning is to choose the direction of faith. 